Welcome to The Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and I'm talking today with Mark Rosweller about the subject of faith. Mark, let's start by talking about the stats. In your writing about faith, you've got this really interesting concept about the churn of souls coming and going. Tell us a little bit more about that and what you were feeling when you were compiling those numbers. So when I looked at the issue of faith, I I realised that um, it's such an inherent part of life, but people almost don't give it a second thought. Yet yet I I came to realise, particularly through my job and, and career, how many people were Dying and how many people are being born? It sounds sounds bizarre, but uh, when you work in emergency management and emergency services, you kind of deal with a lot of death. And uh, it made me realise over the time that this was happening all the time, all the time. People every minute of every day were coming, and people every minute of every day were going. And it's it's, quite, it's really quite profound, I think. And it made me stop and think about it. And um, and the more I thought about it, the more I realised that most of those people were either discovering whether their faith was true, so they, they probably had a faith for most of their life to a greater or lesser degree and the extent to which they understood it or reflected upon it, you know, would probably vary amongst every every single individual. But nonetheless, they were reaching that, that finite moment of, at death where they would find out um, whether there was something after this life or not. And then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, well, the opposite is true because when you're born, you're stepping into a faith. So your family brings you in, uh, culture, society, uh, values, beliefs, rituals, all those things sort of guide you into some some sort of faith-based system, whether it's uh, formally religious or spiritual or could even be atheistic, but nonetheless, it's still a belief system. So it was really um, just sort of made me stop and think about how important it was. And when I looked at the statistics, I realised that you know somewhere between – 80-odd percent and 90-odd percent of people were being born into a faith and had a faith to a greater or lesser degree. Mark, you've got this great expression uh, which you call the blissful silence of knowing. What does that mean exactly? So the blissful silence of knowing is, I think all, all faith ultimately is is not describable and I think faith is found in silence. So anyone anyone who has to argue for their faith or fight for their faith or kill for their faith uh, actually doesn't have faith, they have doubt, and doubt's the opposite of faith. So if you have to defend your faith, um, or you have to protect it, or you have to prove it, or you have to impose it, then it's probably a response to doubt in the mind. Um, and what I've found through literature, but what I've also found through personal experience and meditation is that f- faith is a realisation, so it has to be realised in the mind. And from what I have experienced and from what I've read, particularly in Eastern thought, it arises in silence. It doesn't arise in any form of words or sounds or images um, or colours. So anything that's uh, present to the senses is penultimate. And there's a great saying in Eastern thought that says that he who speaks does not know and he who knows does not speak. And I think it's I think there's a lot of profundity to that. And most people who sit in silence and sit in meditation will very, very softly touch that place of knowing. You're listening to the Allegorical Life podcast. Mark, do you think people may have the wrong understanding or perception of faith? 
Yes, I do. I think um, I think largely faith is seen, particularly in the West, is, is uh, uh, pretty much from a childhood notion of faith. I don't, I don't think our institutions deal well with with maturing the faith conversation. I don't think they're courageous enough to say, "Look, this is in fact all esoteric. It's all allegorical and and mythological and and metaphorical. It's not in fact aspects of history, albeit that these things probably did arise at least in some part in history." So. So uh, Christ is a historical figure, the Buddha is a historical figure, Muhammad is a historical figure, and very importantly so. So, so they, they certainly walked this earth and they came to say profound things. And they are profound because some 2,500, 2,000, 1,500 years later, we still talk about them. We still read about what they said. So it still has relevance, but... If we try and make it relevant to 1,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago, we're kind of missing the point. So so it's the metaphors, the symbols, the allegories within those teachings become as relevant today as they were when they were first spoken. And I think that's the power of faith. But the other thing I say about faith is that you could read the entire Bible if you chose to do so, or you could read the entire Quran, or you could read the entire Lam Rim of Buddhist thought, but there may only be three lines or three paragraphs or three chapters, for example, that are particularly relevant to you in your life at this point in time, but they're profoundly relevant. And there's this enormously rich source of knowledge and wisdom that sits in the doctrine of our faith that we no longer are prepared to look at. And I think part of that reason is because they're so institutionalised and so politicised and and used for all sorts of external purposes, all sorts of... um, that we tend to shy away from it because it all seems to be so harmful. A good friend of mine at work said to me only this week, actually, he's a, a Sunni Muslim and, a, and a, it's, it's a delightful fellow and really, really understands the profundity of his faith. But his daughter has given up her faith because she was so disappointed at how it was playing out across the world in politics and in terrorism. And I talked to him a little little bit more and, and I said to him, I think I don't think your daughter's lost her faith. I think she's just decided to take responsibility for it and make her own choices about how she sees the world and how she views her faith in that context. And I think that's exactly what faith's all about. It's there It's there to help you craft your life and to, it's for you to bring the meaning to that, that aspect of faith, but it's a very, very personal experience, very personal. And I think that's why ultimately when you touch faith, you can't describe it, you can't put words to it, you can't put images to it. They're all penultimate. The ultimate experience of faith is the blissful silence of knowing. Now, Mark, you've got a long and distinguished career, uh, largely in emergency management. What do you think the experience of trauma brings to the experience of faith? Certainly in my own life experience and certainly through my career experience, I've seen the profound lessons that arise from, from adversity. When people are going through adverse circumstance, they need as much help and support as they can get, and it's harrowing, it's confronting, uh, it's a space of great suffering, and the last thing you'd want to say to that particular person or group of people is, well, what are you learning along the way? Because clearly that's not the time to ask the question. But but when the adversity um, eases or abates or, or people become more competent or confident, there's often a, a reflection that goes on about the, the experience they've just travelled through. And I think it's in the space of reflection. They come to realise that they may have learned something or, in fact, they probably did learn something. So a really um, simple and pragmatic example is um, the community of Darnali in Tasmania. 
that went through a bushfire, a major bushfire, five years ago and, and uh, burnt out over, I think it was over 25,000 hectares of land and destroyed just around 400 properties and very fortunately didn't kill anybody and there were very few injuries, but incredible devastation of that part of Tasmania. And um, five years later, there's this uh, wonderful renewal of community um, going on down there and people have transformed spiritually and psychologically. They're different people. They're more reflexive. Uh, they're happier. They're, 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 they live a simpler life. Um, they've rediscovered what's really important. Um, uh, businesses have flourished. Tourism has picked up. Um, it's a it's actually a community of renewal. Now, having been there on the day or the couple of days after that fire went through in five years ago in January 2013, nobody had that perspective. Everybody was devastated. The, the, the devastation, physical devastation of fire was extraordinary and the emotional devastation on many people was equally as extraordinary. So you couldn't sit there on that day and say, well, what did you learn? Because people were just too traumatised. But as time has gone on, people have had a chance to reflect and, and to bring profound meaning and understanding to the experience and come to realise that they had a depth to them and a capacity they didn't realise that they had. And that's come forward in some ways, flourished in some way, and uh, and they feel grateful for the experience. And in my 33 years in this business, I have seen that more times than I care to remember for, for most people that there is a reflection that says, you know what, on some level, which is very hard to describe, I, I struggle to put words to it, but I'm a better person for the experience. And it's not it's not true for everybody, of course, but but it's true for many people. So I think um, sometimes we have to face adversity in life in order to really get to the depths of our mind or the depths of our souls to understand what we're truly capable of. And that's really what, what the faiths talk about is that, you know, Buddha seed, um, the Christ nature, uh, agape, the love of God, uh, they're all described in different ways in faith, but it's the, these innate capabilities within us that we just don't realise we have. So we're so we're meant to we're, we're meant to go looking for them as part of a good life, but I think society so dismisses the possibility um, through enlightenment thinking, through through rational thought and reason. None of those things are wrong, of course, but in themselves a bit limiting if you can't uh, bring a bit of mystery into life. But um, but but faith is a way of triggering those things, and if we don't discover it through faith, then we'll probably have to discover it through adversity. listening to the allegorical life podcast with mark crossweller if you'd like to subscribe to the allegorical life podcast visit our website theallegoricallife.com slash subscribe mark how easy do you think it is for people to have a conversation about faith i think we're losing our confidence in society to to have an adult conversation about faith, I think our, our societal conversations about faith are still quite parent-child. They're not adult; they're parent-child. So, so there's a there's a, either a moral superiority that rises up, or an inferiority that rises up about spirituality or about matters of faith, and particularly about ethics and morals that arise from faith. They tend to be very quickly distorted into evangelistic thinking or. Uh, moral superiority and people rightly walk away from them and, and I, I walk away from them as well. I think um, any any conversation around ethics and morals has to be done in such a way that it, we should uphold the principles of morality in society but we ought not become superior in the process. And so we should be very grounded in our thinking and, and in our language 
uh, in and in our approach, but we, we we should be uncompromising in some of these things. I think um, what's happening in uh, the media at the moment with with all this sexual sexual exploitation of men against women going back twenty or thirty years clearly totally inappropriate behaviour, totally wrong, and finally people having the courage to come out and speak, which is refreshing. But it sort of highlights a society that somewhere along the line lost its morality and also lost its confidence to speak about its morality. Um, and just people just simply were too fearful or did not have the confidence to speak up or to speak out. And so that that you know, ultimately what happens is that you know, bad things happen when good people do nothing. And um, and so that, those behaviours have been allowed to perpetuate because we haven't had the confidence to speak about the morality of those things. So somehow we've got to find our voice and um, and speak speak about them with a sense of maturity and a sense of humility and come at, the, come at them from an adult perspective instead of the parent-child relationship or the position of moral superiority, which... Many of the faiths, you know, through throughout history, have taken that position and condemned condemned their their, their followers or condemned con- condemned believers for not living up to those very standards that their faiths ask them to live up to. But I don't think the faiths were ever meant to say that. I think what the faiths were meant to say is, look, those things exist within. Go and have a look. They're not imposed from outside. They exist on the inside. You've been listening to the Allegorical Life podcast with Mark Crosswaller. We hope to have your company again soon.